welcome back to The Happy Hour, a palate-cleansing podcast. Where we talk about happy news and creative solutions to the issues of today. And we believe news is best heard over a glass of your favorite drink, whatever that may be. I'm Shaylin Martos. And I'm Malachi Wade. And we have a special one-year anniversary episode for you. Woohoo! Yay! We're going to go over the impeachment, inmate workers' rights, double masking, and more. Plus, a special interview roundup segment with our favorite clips from all our conversations with our guests thus far. And of course, we'll finish off with an anniversary cocktail. Let's start with what's in the headlines. The record-breaking second impeachment of former President Donald Trump concluded last week with an acquittal in the Senate. However, I want to touch on an aspect of the trial that won't go unnoticed. While the votes did not reach the required two-thirds majority, the 57-43 to 43 vote proves that the impeachment was bipartisan, therefore negating arguments that it was just Democrats out to get the former president. Seven GOP senators voted to impeach, the most bipartisan impeachment vote in U.S. history, according to NPR. While it wasn't the 17 that was needed, it will still serve as a reminder that the Trump issue crosses party lines. Alameda County jail inmates who work in kitchens for a private company can now sue for minimum wages and overtime. The decision by U.S. District Judge John Tagar of Oakland ruled that under California labor laws and the 13th Constitutional Amendment that nine pretrial inmates are legally entitled to sue Aramark Correctional Services, as reported by the San Francisco Chronicle. According to the African-American Intellectual History Society, recent works like Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness, and Ava DuVernay's documentary 13th, brought international attention to a loophole in the 13th Amendment, which ended slavery in 1865. The amendment reads, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime whereof the parties shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. In modern English, treating U.S. prisoners as slaves is legal. Attorney Dan Siegel said he hopes that the suit, if proved, will lay precedent for other cases about the exploitation of prisoners in private prisons in California, which is lawyer speak for fights against mass incarceration. Woohoo! We love lawyer speak. <laughs> we love being able to translate lawyer speak. Mm -hmm. And we're sure you have all heard that the CDC now recommends double masking, but there are also some new rules enacted by the CDC on mask wearing. We want to break it down so everyone who listens is more prepared to keep safe as we enter our one-year COVID-versary. I still shudder every time I remember we've been doing this for a whole damn year. Exactly, me too. So the first and most important part is that as of February 10th, people in the United States and territories are required to wear masks on all forms of public transit. Buses, planes, subways, boats, and even rideshares. There are exemptions to this rule, mostly if there's a need to remove a mask for safety, communication, or verifying identity. Also, people with disabilities or jobs that make it unsafe to wear a mask, as well as children under two, are exempt. Now, double masking. In what situations is it more important, and how can we do it safely? According to KQED, the CDC recommends wearing both a surgical mask and a cloth mask, or a mask with at least two layers of cloth. 
You should also be aware of your mask's fit, making sure it is snug across your face. The CDC recommends wearing a mask with a wire across the nose and with adjustable strings, or tying knots on the ear loops of surgical masks. In high-risk situations, such as long periods outside or in spaces with lots of people, you should be wearing two masks or masks with multiple layers, but you need to be able to breathe, so check to make sure you have airflow. One last note, the CDC states that you should not wear two surgical masks, you know, the ones that are like blue and they have the little nose thing, mm -hmm. since they are not designed to fit snugly. Also, the KN95 should be worn on its own. Last week, California Assemblymember Christina Garcia introduced a bill that would make non-consensual condom removal illegal and considered sexual battery. If passed, this bill will change the writing of the law and allow a way for victims to seek legal action. Non-consensual condom removal, apparently known as stealthing, which is an absolutely terrible term, mm -hmm, happens most often between partners who are already sexually active. This also happens presumably after consent to sex has been given, so some people don't see stealthing as an issue. However, it causes partners to feel betrayed and scared for potential STIs or pregnancy. In a Washington Post article, Garcia said, I want to make sure that A, victims have a legal course for justice, and B, we have something in the books that facilitates a discussion with all people, especially our youth. The passage of this bill would make California the first state to make non-consensual condom removal illegal. Which is ridiculous. Add this to the list of things I didn't already know were illegal. Me too. Me too. Absolutely floored. Mm -hmm. But on a happier note, this Black History Month, communities in Oakland band together to celebrate Black joy, innovation, and achievements. Right down the street from my apartment in West Oakland's Lower Bottoms, a new mural honors the women of the Black Panther Party, standing 30 feet tall on the sides of a home on 9th and Center Streets. According to Oaklandside and KQED, homeowner Jill Christina Vest was inspired by the murals in downtown Oakland during last year's protests following the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor by police. She reached out to members of the BPP, including Erica Huggins and Reverend Cheryl Dawson, specifically the women whose contributions are consistently overlooked. The muralist, Rachel Wolf Goldsmith, painted members of the party that fought for voting rights. The mural will also include the names of 250 women of the party and a quote from Sandra Bland, a Black woman who died while in police custody in 2015. We've included a link to the video of the live unveiling of the mural on Valentine's Day. Also, on their website, you can find opportunities to buy merch to support the finishing of the mural. Nice. And the same stretch of 9th Street between Center and Chester was renamed Huey P. Newton Way on his birthday, February 17th. I actually, so I went to go look at the mural mm -hmm. and see this new street, and it's it's so beautiful. I was just floored. Actually, the muralist, or I don't know if it was the muralist or just another person who was working with them, was writing the names oh, on cool. the house with a white paint marker. It was really, really cool to see. Nice. And it's like, I'm not lying when it's right down the street from my house. People are going to be able to find you. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have a very special anniversary segment. As always, stay tuned. Oh 
Welcome back. Time is relative and really has no sway these days, but it Mm -hmm. is still wild that we've been producing the happy hour for a full year now. I know. When we started this project pre-COVID times, we recorded in a small office-turned podcast room in the journalism department at SF State. Only two episodes later, we all went into lockdown and we had to go on hiatus while we figured out how to record remotely. Now, we're 12 episodes in, 14 total if you count our episode 3 part 2 and our Wine Wednesday episode. And we want to thank every single one of our wonderful guests for joining us on this journey. So we want to share some of our favorite moments with our guests. To start off, we have an absolute blast from the past. Last February, we had our first interview for the happy hour with our friend and then fellow student, Smit Parekh. We talked about a piece he wrote on gender-bending red carpet fashion at award shows, because back then those were still a thing. Well, we all know Billy Porter. Um, do I even need to mention it? Like, <laughs> yeah. On the Grammys, he came up with such a good jumpsuit. Did you guys mm-hmm. see yes, that? I oh my God, the, the remote control fringe hat. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I saw that. I feel like I would remember. Oh my Wait, gosh, let me time. elaborate. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So he wore a cowboy looking jumpsuit mm-hmm. with fringes all over it, silver fringes, and his huge hat. And there were fringes all around the brim of his hat. And he came, walked to the red carpet with all the fringes closed. Yeah. And he pressed the remote control and the fringes open. That's fucking cool. Okay, Here I am, cool. bitches. Next, we were joined by Whitney Papali'i, who at the time was a fellow Golden Gate Express reporter, but has since graduated. Congrats! We spoke about her story covering the Black Students United in Housing organization on campus and how she wanted to rebuild a tenuous relationship between the Express and the Black student orgs on campus. I am very interested in covering organizations on campus that cater to people of color. I think it's important that Golden Express covers and properly represents those communities. Yes, snaps. Thank you. (laughs) So after covering this event, the president was very happy to like cover any future events that are BSU related, Braille related. That's what my focus is this year, I think. Even though my beat is usually arts and entertainment, I think I'm getting more involved with covering student orgs on campus and just making sure that people on campus are being heard. Next up, we had a two-part episode with Whitney and Nia Coates, where we chatted about their experiences with representation in the newsroom and the school. In this episode, we really got into the intersectional issues that women, especially Black women, women of color, and queer folks face in journalism and higher education. Well, um, I feel like I've been reporting in my identity role because it's hard to like not take notice of like intersectionality and even if I had other intersections it would be hard to not take not like take note of that and like use that to an advantage Mm. essentially and in the newsroom um I feel like at the start of the summer um if y'all if like if the reporters of color can like check us on like what we're doing or like what we're missing on but that's not really our responsibility because we're reporters and not editors and that's just something that like our identity shouldn't like we shouldn't have to check the editors or like the EIC on anything because we're the reporters like y'all should be able to do that it's not our fault that y'all don't have 
these people and these specific identities or like intersections that that they're just not there it's not something that we should take note of or like take the responsibility for having black and brown reporters have that labor Mm -hmm. rather than having it being expected for all reporters within the newsroom Mm -hmm. so that should be the standard itself you know instead of just creating these roles hire black and brown reporters obviously you know create you know more roles and opportunity for reporters but for them to just have those roles within the newsroom it it's not Mm -hmm. really that great yeah (laughs) Then we talked with fellow Express reporters Justin Garcia and June Ueda about their coverage regarding the wildfires and smoke from last September. Justin compiled a smoke inhalation infographic to help San Franciscans stay safe. June is a photographer, and we talked about his work that September day when the sky turned orange. I knew, like, if I went outside, it's going to be dangerous, like, if I'm out there for a while. Like, if I'm sitting outside Mm -hmm. for a while and inhaling the smoke, like, I know it's going to do some long-term damage, but I just didn't know what that was or what that what the effects were of me being outside. I was learning as I was doing it as well. So I think that's really also cool to, like, educate myself as I'm doing it as well and I want to educate others. I woke up and then, you know, I, like, looked through the curtain and I was like, whoa, it's, it's foggy. And it's always usually really foggy. I live by San Bruno, so we kind of... Okay. It's always foggy in the morning and at night, but it was, like, orange. So I was like, oh, this is, like, odd. And I thought it was just the sunlight, like, you know, diffusing through the fog and it was like orange, but it was like oddly too orange. I was like, okay, this is like weird. Like I just grabbed my camera and my tripod and I was like, all right, let's go. Like just throw on some, just throw on a jacket. And I was like, let's go get some shots. For our sixth episode, we interviewed Ivory Moore, president of Black Residents United in Housing, or BRA, at SF State. We talked about her work with BRA to support campus residents during COVID and how she believes that being a conscious activist means collaborating with multiple organizations to provide for your community. One thing with BRA, you always knew you got some food. Like I said, I know what it's like to be homeless. I know what it's like to not have food. So I'm a really big advocate for homelessness, for food, for housing. Um, making sure that people have those needs because a lot of SFSU students were going through that. You had college students having to decide whether they were going to pay tuition, whether they were going to get books, whether they were going to eat. You had some sleeping in their cars, you know what I mean? We're for Black residents, but not just Black residents, even though that is our primary. We're for all residents, all students, all student life, you know? reach one teach one you know what i mean race color creed gender sex it doesn't fucking matter it doesn't matter (laughs) that's good you can you can definitely curse like we encourage it during the 2020 election we spoke with current managing editor of the express olivia winecoop for a whole episode about the california proposition voting guide she and current editor-in-chief chris gonzalez produced together I honestly used our guide as my first resource for the California ballot. It was comprehensive and so accessible, available in English, Chinese, Spanish, and Tagalog. Proposition 21 was the second time rent control has been on the California ballot. It would have created a form of rent control in the state, but it was rejected. In 2018, 
polling revealed that Californians were mostly in favor of rent control, but they didn't appreciate the specifics of the former proposition, which I feel like happens a lot. You know, obviously we know that politics can be a little bit stale, but like, why isn't it made accessible and just people are educating others in a, I don't know, in a more constructive way from the beginning? Yeah, and readable. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. This this voter guide <laughs> took me a minute, y'all. Like mm-hmm. every word has a meaning to it, especially like with political legal jargon. Mm-hmm. And you have to read things very very closely and there's very limited text, but mm-hmm. so much in it that requires a lot of background research and um rent control is like one of those topics that just requires a lot of work to to look into and i wish that information was more accessible for people especially like for people who aren't necessarily super involved in politics but they still want to vote it's mm-hmm. you know they should have that information available for them because mm-hmm. it can be very confusing to kind of hear like the same outcome on either side for our eighth episode we talked with paul kelly then arts and entertainment editor for the express about his profile on James Coleman, the youngest and first openly LGBTQ plus city council member for South San Francisco. Paul actually broke this story, which was then covered by KQED and the San Francisco Chronicle. Paul is now a permanent player in mine and Shaylin's weekly D&D game. My brother told me, he's just like how I hear all the news in South San Francisco, because South San Francisco is a really small town. South City, South City, (laughs) Um, as it's colloquially known. Um, he was telling me, he's like, you remember James Coleman, the guy we used to do karate with you know, ages ago? I was like, yeah, that guy, the guy that went to Harvard? He's like, yeah, he's going to run for city council. I never really interacted with him. He was a purple belt. I was a, like a second level blue belt. On his website and just like every time he talks in general, or like in all the pieces that I've seen written about him subsequently, uh, he'll bring up like maybe five or six points. But I would say the main ones are um, universal pre-K, preschool, affordable housing, helping local businesses, and climate change. Yeah, well, and uh, public safety reform or, you know, like police reform and kind of divesting from police departments into back into the community of South San Francisco. People that I had gone to school with that I like don't keep in contact or who are like tenuously connected to me now, like to see them like reposting something and like, oh, like currently like the San Mateo County has just put in the new results and he's 55 votes in the end. And just to see that kind of enthusiasm is very uplifting, I suppose. Then, in our first happy hour episode since Malachi and I graduated, we are joined by SF Gate editorial assistant and SF State graduate Fernando Martinez to talk about life after college and advice for securing the internship or job of your dreams. Check out Fernando's podcast, Contextless, on all streaming platforms. I have a podcast that's called Contextless. It's a pop culture podcast. The name Contextless itself, to me, it means to be without context. And I feel like we're living in a world where like we are, we're, we're overwhelmed with information that people only view it on the surface level, especially with social media. They don't really get discussed with the nuance that is required of them in order to be like media literate and like just practice our critical thinking skills, which is why let me make Contextless a podcast. And I, I also thought to myself, why not bring in some of like the great people I know who I know are great critical thinkers because one of my goals with okay. this podcast is to demystify this idea that podcasts are only something like certain people can do. That you can make a podcast on your own terms 
and bring in who you want. Make it about whatever you're passionate about. And for me, that was pop culture. Last, but of course not least, we spoke with Lola Chase, digital production assistant for ABC KGO Bay Area, about how broadcast and print journalism differ and what they have in common. They shared with us their journey to being their authentic queer self in the workplace and how to balance the wild schedules new hires are given. There's something really special about just having a piece in the pie, <laughs> having no, knowing that you contributed to the thing that people are actually going to contemplate and think about later. That's really cool. I helped find a bunch of old file footage of Kamala Harris, and we ended up doing an entire documentary on her. Cool. It's getting nominated for an Emmy. <laughs> so Whoa. that's pretty neat. I just seeing things like actually come to fruition. It's a super rewarding part of the job. Being in the newsroom and being taken seriously by other adults super rewarding. Being a student, I feel like um, you're not always taken seriously. It's cool to be acknowledged like as a real journalist and that you're working hard. And I feel like even in college, I was doing some of the most like meaningful journalism work of my life and people didn't always acknowledge that as like important as it is. And so um, walking into a place where you're mutually respected by your peers definitely makes a difference in your self-esteem and confidence in what you do. We truly believe that our guests make the show. Without them, people would really get tired of listening to our voices the whole time. Mm -hmm. We learn from each person and each conversation we have on the happy hour, and we hope those of you listening do too. Thank you. And now it's time for our special anniversary cocktail. We call this one the Very Berry Anniversary. I still, I still can't believe that we chose that one. I love it, though. I do love it. This is our take on an Aperol spritz with a twist. This drink is built in the glass. You can use a regular cocktail glass or champagne flute if you got one. Start with some Prosecco, the cheaper the better, because we're always on a budget. Fill <laughs> your glass from half to three quarters full, depending on personal preference. The rest of the ingredients are all added in splashes, also according to your taste, just like a mimosa. Add a bit of Aperol, an Italian aperitif, some grapefruit juice, and grenadine, the pomegranate syrup we used for our last cocktail, pink punch in the face. Finish off with some fresh or frozen berries, and if you're going to add ice to Prosecco, add it at the end because the cold at the beginning will flatten the bubbles. Love that. Love that advice. Also, <laughs> anything that has a little bit of something to eat at the end, like a snack at, a, at the end of a drink... Mm -hmm. is my favorite. Absolutely. We hope you enjoy the Very Berry Anniversary. Check out all of our cocktail recipes on our Instagram at THH Podcast. And if you would like a cocktail made in your honor, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and make sure to include your name. And now it's time for our last call. Shaylin, what's making you happy this week? Okay, so this one's actually really big and I'm very excited to share it. Today is my sister Isabella's 16th birthday. I know. Happy birthday, Bella. I Happy cannot birthday. believe it. I changed that girl's diapers. I went with her to her physical therapy when she was a baby. And sometimes I help her as her substitute Shay Shay with her online learning. Um, Very cute. And I'm just so proud of her. She has really grown and she's so self-sufficient. I, 
I might cry. <laughs> Happy <laughs> Sweet 16, Bella, my karaoke queen. So cute. I know. I'm so happy On an for her. equally personal note, I acquired a very fantastic sweatshirt recently. <laughs> and where'd you acquire it from, Malachi? Where'd you get that? So the origin story of my sweatshirt, it is a green uh, crew neck with a graphic font that says chickpeas on it. Uh, my sister sent me a TikTok of this person talking about how they were in like a graphic design a marketing class and they had to sell one shirt in order to get their full grade. And so it was like a, please, can someone buy one shirt from my Teespring or whatever? Anyway, my sister and I were like, um, we want these. So my sister got a hoodie and a t-shirt. Nice. <laughs> she got two things. And I got the crew neck sweatshirt and it's really comfy and it says chickpeas. Also, my boyfriend Alan visited this last weekend for our four year anniversary, which is technically on the 20th but we did it on Valentine's Day because he had President's Day off of work. Anyway, that was very nice. Thank and you. he brought me some, he bought me gloves, like over the elbow, um, elegant gloves as a gift, which might be one of the best gifts I've ever received. And I'll be wearing them daily with my chickpeas sweater. <laughs> Lovely. Anyway, thank you to everyone who has supported us for the last year. We will be taking a week off, so our next episode will be in three weeks. We'll be doing that every so often for our health and safety. <laughs> thank you to Armand Villamoria for producing our theme music, and to all of our wonderful guests this year, and to anyone who listens. Yes, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night. The Happy Hour is produced by Shailen Martos and Malachi Wade.